There aren't many animals more symbolic of life in the northern woods than the moose. They're found in every country that circles the Arctic Ocean and are an important food source in all of them. Today's Check to Pantry is guest hosted by Terry Robel, who's cooked several moose worth of moose meat in her kitchens. Terry's guests today are Nancy Wise and her son, Cody. From KBBI in Homer, Alaska, my name's Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to Check the Pantry. champion moose hunters are not Alaskans, but the Swedes. The 170,000 square miles of Sweden now supports a moose population of between 350,000 and 400,000 animals after they were nearly wiped out by the early 20th century due to unregulated hunting and habitat destruction. Alaska, by contrast, has 660,000 square miles of land, but only about half the Swedish population of moose. There are a few reasons for Swedish moose abundance. Their forests are intensively managed, which leads to much greater availability of high-quality browse. Winters, while long, tend to be milder with less deep snow. The entire country is considerably more accessible, making it easier for managers to direct hunters toward regions of overpopulation and away from areas where the moose need a break. And the population of two of the three principal predators of moose, wolves and brown bears, is far larger in Alaska. In Sweden, they both exist, but their numbers are tiny. The main tool the Swedish government has at their disposal to control moose population, then, is their third major predator, humans. Harvest rates are actually almost identical. 10 million Swedes harvest about 100,000 moose per year, while 700,000 Alaskans take about 7,000 moose. But nearly a quarter of all Swedish moose are killed by hunters every year. The Alaskan proportion is not much more than 5%. If Alaskans took moose at the same rate, the total harvest here would be something like 40,000 animals. The Swedish approach to moose has two goals, population control and meat production. Moose is considered owned by the owner of the land it is hunted on, and landowners play a major role in management. Hunters, in addition to the ordinary license fees, usually pay the landowner a lease fee. These fees are offset by the fact that the meat can be inspected by the Swedish equivalent of the USDA and then sold to retailers. Yes, you can buy moose in Swedish grocery stores and restaurants, which is, of course, not possible in Alaska. Somewhere around 40% of the moose taken by Swedish hunters are calves. The Swedish idea is that since a large percentage of calves will not survive their first winter anyway, they might as well harvest a good chunk of them and give the surviving calves a better chance. Hunters pay the government a small fee for each adult moose killed, while calves cost nothing. The next largest share are young spike or fork bulls. The full-rack, trophy-style bull is not as popular, in part because the meat from younger animals is preferred. Hunting is frequently done in organized teams with coordination between hunters and often nearby access to refrigeration and butchering facilities. In case of a wounded animal, hunters are required to have access to a trained tracking dog within a two-hour radius. And before a person is allowed to purchase a hunting license, they are required to take a shooting test in which they must hit a life-size moose-shaped target, both stationary and moving, from a distance of 80 meters. It's an interesting approach to hunting that centers maximum sustainable production of quality meat. The idea of the trophy is not particularly important. And the ability to sell moose means that it remains an important part of Swedish culture, available even to confirmed city dwellers who then have an interest in preserving the hunt. Don't chop too much ahead of time. Oh. <laughs> we get we like the sound, remember? 
Oh, right, right, right. She tried to explain this to her. So, Terry, Terry, who, who do you have with us today? Today, I have my dear friend, Nancy Wise, wonderful person, chef at Extraordinaire, Aww. artist, amazing, and I just, you know, Nancy was one of those people, I met her, and I talked to her five minutes, and it was like, <laughs> you're my sister from another mother, right? <laughs> and and we, we share this love of cooking and and making things taste delicious. So, Nancy, yes. welcome to Check the Pantry. Thank you. I'm thrilled. <laughs> oh, so we were great. so excited you could join us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. And it looks like you have a, a bowl full of uh, some I kind do. of ground I, meat. What I have here is a bowl full of freshly ground moose steak. I can't tell you the name of the steak, but I will tell you it's a nice tender cut from the hind quarter, mm -hmm. labeled as hind quarter steak in our freezer. Okay. Very good. I profess my ignorance. And it's mixed with, um, I ground in 10% of pig fat. We do all of our fat for our burgers from uh, local pig fat because okay. it's, it's clean and it just, oh, it just makes the best. So anyway, I'm just lightly kneading in a little bit of a little bit of chopped parsley. And what is, uh, what is this destined to become? Oh, let me tell you what this is destined to become. Well, Terry and I were deciding what, what could we make that we could complete a really tasty dish. With uh, mousse. With mousse. And at first we thought, well, you know, um, beef stroganoff with homemade noodles would be great. And then I thought, eh. Boring. Delicious, I already, but... I, I already did beef stroganoff on the show anyway. Oh, well, you thank did? God. We did. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I decided on one of my go-to um, boat meals when I, I cooked on uh, ocean-going tugboats for Crowley Maritime for a dozen years or so. Excellent. Anyway, it's um, French onion Salisbury steak. Ooh. So a little history of the Salisbury steak. It was... Uh, developed in the late 1800s by this doctor. He practiced mainly from the mid-1800s Civil War veterans and stuff. And his goal was to create a healthy diet. And he formulated the first basically all-meat diet. And what he calls this is muscle pulp of beef. Mm. Mm. So I am making muscle pulp of beef. With moose. With moose. And of, of course... Oh, that sounds even better, guys. <laughs> the Salisbury steak then uh, rose in fame in the 50s as a TV dinner. Right. And it was probably the beginning of women's lib. Oh! <laughs> into the oven, I have free time. Let me go cause trouble. And then again in the 70s, it came back as a TV dinner. But we're going to pull it out of that purgatory, and we're going to pair it with a French <laughs> onion soup and a lovely cheesy toasted crouton on top, and it'll be a one-dish meal. So anyway, first thing I need to do is get this skillet going. Can I help you chop something up? Or, um, this looks fabulous. Do you know how to get the, the stove going? Oh yeah, this one's, we always fight this one. Yeah, yeah. If you could get a burner going and, and get this heat up, yep. I'll form up some patties. All right. Voila! Big fat. Here we go. Nice. I must have the magic touch. Okay. Oh, I didn't put any salt. Yes, I did put salt. Did you put salt in there already? We can always add salt. So all you have ready, right there right now is just the patties. It's is the, just, just the meat. Muscle and the, pulp of moose. And, and some And some, and some parsley. Parsley. Just and, some chopped up parsley. And now you're you're setting it in a... Oh, you know, um, a little bit of scallions would be really good in there, too. Yeah, let's do that. Let me just... I'm just, just sitting here. here. Why don't you chop up some of these scallions All right, I would be happy to. Do you want Ooh. the greens and whites? Yeah. And rather finely, I'm assuming? Yeah. Look at this girl go, man. Okay. And then... Oh, it's so nice to have somebody chopping. Oh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably... Yeah, just do it all. Okay. You don't throw them in and I'll need it. Up I'm going to take that rubber band off, okay? Okay, let's get the rubber band <laughs> out of the picture because I served, um, I served a dish on the boat one time with a big old rubber band into it to the captain. He's over there chewing away. He's like, like, wow. What is this? It's a tendon. <laughs> That's right, it's a tendon. Beautiful. Okay, 
Hey, she said, let's just make this let's happen. Let's throw it all in there. You can tell this woman took care of feeding men you on can, a rocking and rolling boat. You actually can because she works very quickly, and that's like the secret of, of boat cooking. Oh. Having having done a considerable about a considerable amount of boat cooking in my life, it's it's very much like, how do we make this happen now? Now, is that how I'm supposed to make the dinner at our house happen at six o'clock every night? One day I'll tell you the story of the time I decided to fry chicken on a boat. Oh, we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about this when we're at the table any, eating this. Out. Any other seasonings in there, Chef? No, let's no? not put any no. other seasonings oh. in there. Let's save the seasonings for the soup. All right. I when like I that. Okay, is the pan ready? The pan is... It's so got it nice. On. Um, I don't know how hot you'd like this. Terry, you want to pour some oil in that pan? Yes, ma'am. What kind of oil do you have here? That's just Stop. an um, extra virgin olive oil, honey. That's good. Oh man, this this old cast iron skillet mm. looks so beautiful, oh, Nancy. It, you know it is. I've had it's this cast iron skillet for lovely. probably forty-five years. I rescued it uh -huh. from an old cabin, nice. broke down cabin on the side of the road. Oh my gosh! And sprayed it up with um, oven cleaner and put it in a garbage bag for a day and a half. Nice. And then all that crap came off and look at it, just seasoned it and You know, perfect. I, I kind of came by mine the same way. Mark went to a garage sale many, many years ago. A gentleman had um, passed away and they were selling all the household goods. And he brought home this gorgeous cast iron skillet that was totally seasoned and used with Care and love for many, many years, and it's it's a prized kitchen possession in my house, I have to say. Well, so know, we want to saute these right? about three minutes aside. Okay, and how are how's our heat there? Do you yeah, like medium, a medium, medium high medium heat. Medium high, yes. Oh, we want to get a nice little crust on that. All right, sounds good. Okay, while well, that's happening, I'm gonna do some onions. Okay. She's pretty organized, Jeff. I can tell. <laughs> One of my nicknames is organized wise. <laughs> So what are we doing with the onions? I'm just uh, slicing these, a quarter slice. Okay. You know, in quarters in a thin slice. I don't go in our um, sauce. These are gonna go in, once we pull these out, we'll, right. we'll put these in with a little bit of butter in well, your- She said she brought butter just for I brought for me, butter just for you. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Do you, not, do you not use a lot of butter? I don't use a lot of butter in cooking, no. Oh. In baking, yeah. Mm -hmm. But in sauces, I mean, you gotta have it. Oh, these look Fabulous together. Nice little crust on them. I'm gonna flip Ooh, them a yeah. little. Is that all right? Looking good. Woo. I love cooking with somebody. Especially if you can get them to do the dishes. Absolutely. I can't wait till we get to the deglazing part. Right? That's my <laughs> oh, I think I'll do shallot too, because it just has that nice shallots. little flavor. I remember when I first found shallots. It was it wasn't that long ago, really, and I'm like, where have these been all my life? <laughs> Serious. I thought they were the most amazing thing since. Somebody, somebody once, de once described them to me as shallots are what you use when you want something that tastes like a restaurant. Oh, oh. that's perfect. <laughs> okay, here we go. Restaurant holiday. Oh, I love them. They're just one. And, and it's funny because Mark doesn't really care for garlic, but he'll eat all the shallot I can put in the dish for him. To grow some this year. Oh. I mean, you have to you have to start them in the fall. Oh, oh. do you? So I yeah, they're, they're like garlic that oh, way. Oh, well, next year I'll add some to my garlic. Oh, I planted I planted garlic this year. I'm very excited about it. Be very excited about it. <laughs> Did you plant your garlic this fall too, Nancy? I always do mine in the fall. See, I already blew it. Then you guys are gonna. No, no. I'm gonna have to be you your cherry case. Bring, you can just bring garlic. Okay. It just you, they they just don't get as nice. Oh well, I'm gonna do it anyway. Just cause. These are small cloves. Wow. From my beautiful. garlic. Are these your garlic? Yes. Oh, cool. Oh, nothing but the best for you today. <laughs> we check the pantry, we spare nothing. <laughs> I grow all my own herbs. Well, not every single one. I don't grow cinnamon. But <laughs> <laughs> I grow my the green herbs, the savory herbs, and here's a little plate you can put those meat pulp. Patties on. All right. <laughs> I just can't get over it. Dr. Salisbury, what a guy. 
Okay, so the first thing I'm actually super curious about is, uh, is did you shoot the moose that your mom cooked the other day? Possibly. Possibly? Yeah, well, there's we've shot a couple of different moose over the last few years, so um, chances are it could have been the one that I shot, but it could have also been a, num a couple of other moose that um, my dad shot and then one of his hunting partners also shot one, so there's kind of a... Everybody kind of splits the moose, so there's everybody's freezer has like three different moose in it. And we just kind of divide it up equally amongst the hunters involved. So gotcha. it's not there's no real way to tell if it's whose moose it is, with the exception of the, if they're, that we date the moose. So it would be either if it was from this year, it was it wouldn't have been mine because I did not shoot a moose this year. But I gotcha. So you're generally with several other people. You guys all sort of pool in and yeah, for the most part, we we kind of have a, a designated place we go and and. Uh, go hunting and so the people that go there that's just kind of a un, unspoken rule that when you are hunting out of that in that camp so to speak then the people that are hunting share the moose meat equally gotcha so, yeah and is it's around here like you're not traveling like super far yeah it's close by okay it's up on uh, yep <laughs> you don't have to tell me where it is <laughs> since it is since it is nearby describe what good moose country looks like well, that's a that's probably I'll probably get some flack for this, but in my opinion, good moose country is country where I can see the moose. So, I think that you want to see first of all, you want to see some moose signs. So, when you see like tracks, fresh tracks, uh, moose droppings, and then uh, places you know like you can see where willows have been chewed on for generations, probably. And so that combination, and then some place where there's water, and you know you'll definitely see spots where there's it's kind of like a moose hot spot, so to speak. And you know, those are places where you would want to hang out and wait for a moose to show up. Willows and water, huh? Yeah, lots of willows, lots a little bit of, you know, a watering hole in the in the vicinity, and then uh, you know, there'll be some game trails. So it's it's kind of fun when you when you sometimes um, you'll be out exploring and you'll find all of a sudden you'll just come across the the trifecta of, of things I just talked about, and you'll be like, ooh, there's moose around here. So you kind of carve out a little spot that you can sit and watch and listen and do all that stuff. And so is, is your uh, is your strategy mostly sitting there with a pair of binoculars looking around? Well, it's changed over the years. When I was a kid, younger, I just, I mean, I just liked to get out and walk around. And I probably in that, you know, that probably wasn't the most, uh, the best method of to be a successful moose hunter is just on the move all the time. I just like to get out and see country. And I was a little too impatient, I think, to be able to actually like just sit in one spot for hours and wait. So. Yeah. But I, in that same sense, you know, it also gave me a pretty, you know, being out, be able to get out and explore uh, the great outdoors in my backyard, so to speak. You know, I found a lot of really awesome, beautiful places that I probably would have never discovered otherwise. And it gave me a pretty deep uh, appreciation for land around here. So you grew up basically around here, right? Yep, just uh, in Hidden Hills. It's on, the, it's on the south and the north fork. It's about 15 minutes from Homer. Describe the first moose hunt that you went on. Well, the first the first moose hunt that that I can remember was you know when my dad used to we used to he used to take us to the school bus we went to uh, Paul Banks when we were kids so we'd get uh, ride to the bottom of the North Fork and we'd meet the bus and they'd take us into Homer, but so we would we would moose hunt in the truck and I think there was more than one occasion where the moose hunt and I actually a couple times or at least one time I remember I I was like yeah there's there's a moose and like I, I must have been super young and he like pulled over the old Chevy truck we had and blasted the moose and I think we were late for school that day <laughs> was that before they that was before they changed the regulations or the statute of limitations has run out on that now oh I think it's okay as long as it's a certain distance off the roadway but oh, anyway okay. um yeah you know, I was that was like in the 70s or 80s early 80s <laughs> what's the favorite moose hunt that you've got when you think about like my life, Cody Wise, as a moose hunter. I haven't shot that many moose. I've shot four moose. My dad's probably shot 30, but he's a stud, so. <laughs> maybe I should be talking to your dad instead no, of you. Maybe. <laughs> no, I've hunted a lot. About three years ago, I was I was busy building houses, and so I really didn't get a lot of time to hunt. And I mean, I do a little road hunting and stuff after work or whatever, and maybe early in the morning. But for the most part, I didn't even hunt weekends or anything. And I carved out five days at the end of the moose season, and uh, it was the no-wheeler day, so I, I went out to the, the spot where we go on the, the last day, you know, that you can drive three-wheelers, and after that, you're not allowed to drive for wheelers or motorized vehicles, and I got out there and parked my wheeler. The next morning, I woke up, and it was like the first day in, of my little 
excursion and hoping that I can get a moose. And I walked, walked, got up in the morning, had some coffee and just walked 15 minutes from camp. And the first uh, swamp that I came into, there was a nice big bull stand in there. And I, and I thought, oh man, here we go. <laughs> and he just looked, he was about a hundred yards away and he, and he looked directly at me and I, I got a chance to really scrutinize the, this pretty good sized bull moose. And I, um, decided that he was fifth, you know, he was legal and I squeezed off and dropped it. And, uh, and I was right. And so, you know, it was, it was cause for celebration, <laughs> but it was a really nice big animal. And my dad was there. So it was pretty cool to be able to share it with them. And, and we, you know, we got it, drug it back to camp and we, there was a few people out there and we had it hanging in a, up in a tree. So my job after that was to drink beer and, <laughs> and be on, be on uh, bear watch for the, for the moose that was hanging there. But it's, a, it's such a nice feeling when, you know, you know that as long as you can get that moose out of there in one piece, so to speak, um, that you're going to fill a couple freezers and, you know, you're good to, good to go for a winner. Well, let's talk about that, the, uh, the, the spread for a little bit, because, you know, so 50 inches is legal, right? It's 50? 50, um, 50 inches, and uh, they just changed the regulations now, so it was four brow tines, which are like the eye guards or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And now that's back to three, which were the original reg regulations for a while, I think they implemented the four like five or six years ago, but I could be mistaken. Anyway, um, yeah. So if you don't see the the brow tines, uh, it's fairly difficult to, unless you have seen a lot of moose racks, to be able to differentiate between like a forty or fifty inch rack. When you see them up close, it's easy. You go, oh, look, that's a tiny moose in the fifties. They're, you know, it's like a different level of. But they're maturity. usually not up close. They're, yeah, if they're up close, you're probably in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, or you spooked it or something. I mean, they, maybe later in the season, when they're, if they're in the rut, they'll, they'll, that'll happen. But it seems like the ruts will be getting later and later because of the warm weather, or potentially. I think, you know, there's a couple of different methods that you can, you can, there's, some people say that there's like, you know, you figure the width of the head and then the base of the horns and you go out from there and it's like a sheet of plywood. So I'm pretty, I consider myself pretty good uh, at judging distances and stuff so I like I said I scrutinized that moose for a good 15 minutes and I was right it's always struck me as a little weird that so much of of Alaska moose management <laughs> seems to be based on you know doing being able to do geometry at distance yeah no there's a bunch of uh, in my opinion like uh, why not implement a point system where you count one side if you can count 12 you know whatever 12 or 10 or 12 points coming off of one side of the rack you know, and then that would indicate that you have the mature bull, that right. the age that you're looking for, which I think that they do that in Canada, perhaps, as, a, as they use points and other stuff, too. Do they? Yeah, I think so. But I might be mistaken there, too. Yeah, because now, like, it seems like it's like a lottery. You know, every year you hear people. Get... It's terrible. I think it's, I, and people, some people, and those are just the ones we know about. People just go out and start shooting. And um, it, it's, it is unfortunate that there's so many, it's, I think, 40, I mean, I don't, I, and again, I don't know the specifics, but I know that a lot of sublegal moose are shot every season, and those are and the ones those are just the ones that are turned in. I'm right. pretty sure that there must be a ton of them that people just you know straight yeah, go, up oops, or they just go out and say I don't I could care less right. about any regulations. Or I'm going to shoot this and throw it in the back of my truck and take it to my shop, and nobody's ever going to know about it. And they do it every year. I'm right. sure it happens. Right, but it's unfortunate, and it. Uh, it just, I wish that it would, pr we could promote like more responsible hunting by allowing people a more, it just seems like if somebody could say, Hey, that's, I'm 99% sure that that moose is legal. Yeah. Shoot it. As opposed to being like, it's I wasn't a criminal, inches. but now I am. It's 49 inches. Yeah. It's and 49 and three quarters of an inch. Oh no. <laughs> I'm busted. Damn it. So, I mean, seriously, like when I brought men in, I was like, well, what if that would have been 49 and seven eighths? He goes, well, it wouldn't have been legal. I said, okay, man. So. And it was it was legal by a few inches, but it's tough too because you know it puts it kind of puts people off. Like I've been moose hunting a couple times, but every time I went, I was like, you know, I honestly I can't even imagine myself really wanting to shoot one just because I would be like, I don't. I mean, yeah, you know, is it is it good? Is it not? You know, and it seems like such an arbitrary kind of demarcation for what is a pretty significant decision. You know, absolutely. I mean, it really is. And then you know, the reality is, it's like. You just give somebody a gun and say, "Go shoot a fifty-inch moose at one hundred and fifty yards." You know, that's a that's a lot of responsibility. Oh, 
knob of butter. And a little. So since we're uh, since we're making Salisbury steak, do we also get a little microwave brownie to eat with it? Oh my gosh! <laughs> and, yeah. Was that what was in it? I know it was. Yeah. It was peas. Peas or right? mashed potatoes. Peas and mashed potatoes, and then was it the brownie or yeah. the apple well, that crisp? Was, you, well, it depended. It depended on the on the brand, I think. Like, one brand was, ah. was the apple and one was the brownie. Ah. Alright, Jerry, I'm gonna throw these onions right. and shallots in there. Ooh, I get to stir my favorite things. Yeah. Stirring onions is basically the best job in the kitchen. It's wonderful. Pretty much. Now, we're gonna do kind of a hurry up caramelization. I'm not gonna right. take a half hour like I do at home. Okay. But, so we'll just keep the hot heat so we'll high. So we'll get the heat back up to. Because sugar, sugar kind okay. of um, helps the caramelization process. I have a little organic sugar right here. Organic sugar, nice. Oh, yeah. You don't grow that though, huh? Uh, no, <laughs> the sugar cane fields haven't been producing for me. Dang. No, no. Mm. Climate. So what are we doing with the mushrooms? We're gonna, um, we're gonna give them a little slice, and I don't usually. Uh, well, I love mushrooms. I mean, the, the earthy quality of them and the flavor, just that. So we'll put a we'll put a pile of mushrooms in there. This Ooh. Yeah, they shrink. They shrink a lot, but I like to get them in there with the onions. I like them nice and cooked. Mushrooms are one of those things that they're not. If I don't have some in my fridge, I get nervous. I got I got out of the store and go buy some. I actually I just keep a bunch of dried mushrooms around my house now. <laughs> Do you? Big, yeah. Yeah, dried shiitake. They're really cheap, oh, too. They right. are. Yeah. You gotta get them at Saving where they're like a buck fifty yeah. for a bag. Yeah, for a big bag of them. Yeah, I use them all the time. Yeah. Have you used black fungus yeah. with your shiitakes? Man, oh man. Yeah, that's more of like a textural thing. They don't have like a no, lot there's, of flavor, mm, but, no. but it's it's that slippery texture. Okay, I think that's enough. You think that's enough mushrooms? That look good? That's good. Sure. Well, let's throw in some of this thyme. Oh, now you. Look at her cute You're just little. like, you're just hitting all the high points. Time, oh, I love time. And there'll probably be some little sticks in here because I don't get it clean as a whistle. So, see, there's, there's a couple. Oh, that's good fiber. Yeah. <laughs> don't want to time it to death, but I do like no. the taste. You it. know, I do too, and my, my mom doesn't. I thought I didn't either until I started doing a lot of cooking from the Louisiana cookbooks. They love yeah. their time, don't they? We, we use a lot of time. Oh, it's good. A whole lot. I love it. I'm just getting a good mince on this garlic. There we wow, go. Look at her go. Throw that in now. All right, we're putting it in there too. Yeah, let's just put it all in there. Crank that up a little bit. It's, it's, that's, that's it. Too hard that is. That's it? That's max level. Okay. <laughs> well, we don't want to burn them. We just want to caramelize them. There's so much moisture. We don't have to worry about burning them. No, yet. we don't. We sure don't. Well, while that's happening, I think I'll open up this bread and see if I can figure out the broiling situation around here. <laughs> oh, wait, hey, Terry, isn't, don't you have this kind of oven? I do. Okay. Well, and you I'll know what? That's right, because the last time I couldn't figure out how to use it, the but bottom. Terry's like, I have this one. So what are, what are we doing now? Are you making oh, like I'm just, garlic um, bread or something? Yeah, I'm going to make a crouton. So oh, I was oh, okay. going to uh, get this side with the butter toasty and then flip it over and put some of this Gruyere All right, doing it. it the right way, huh? Yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna, I was gonna just do the Parmesan mozzarella. We'll garnish with a little parm, but I, I decided to get the Gruyere, just, it's the you're, best. You're just like me, I always gotta up, up it one. Well, you know. Well, it's my good. big radio debut, I gotta have something. I good. know, <laughs> gotta be good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah, mm. this is working better. It's coming along. It's coming along. Mmm, taste them. Taste in the onion. And? Mmm, they taste really good. Oh, I bet they do. They look really good. They're, they could just sit and eat that. They kind of need to cook a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then do you put your salt in at the end? Yeah. Season at the end? I'll season at okay. the end after we get everything. Got it. Salt is the absolute last thing I use. For one thing, I'm salt sensitive. Okay. And we'll put a little um, flour in there, too. All right. Before we... Start the deglazing process. Ooh, check these guys. Oh, oh my lord. <laughs> I think we're good. I have enough bread for another round. No, 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 we didn't burn them. <laughs> I'm always prepared with the broiler. Bread's always good with a little char on it. Oh, yeah. See, does that look pretty good? Perfect. Awesome. A little brown around the edges. Okay. A little crispy, crunchy. Right All right. Coming over. Cutting board. 
Perfect. We're going to use that again, too. All right. Okay, I'm going to squirt in a little bit of this um, tomato paste once I take the little deal off of there. Thanks for turning me on to this, by the way. Welcome. I don't even own canned tomato sauce. I usually just do my own tomato thing out of the freezer. Well, of course. You I know. I got to the point with tomato paste that it's like, ooh, it's not, it's not even worth buying it if it's not in the tube. Because well, you, you well, don't need that much. That. How is that one? I haven't tried really it. Good. Oh, that's really good. Isn't that good? When I was first when I was Ooh. first learning how to cook, I made a. Uh, I was trying to impress my girlfriend at the time, and I made an eggplant parmesan. Ooh! But I didn't know there was a difference between tomato paste and tomato sauce. Oh dear! And I used all tomato so tomato paste, oh. <laughs> like three cans of it. And <laughs> Not a very saucy dish. <laughs> she, she ate it. So I don't think she was impressed. That's got a really unique flavor. Um, this is the sun-dried tomato wow, paste. It's in the refrigerator really, section okay, of the grocery store. Did you see store. the tomato paste in the in the? Okay. I didn't see the plain oh, stuff. Oh, that has a lovely flavor. I like it. Very bright and tomatoey. Yeah. Kind of savory almost. And look how it really did the color thing. So now it looks like wow. we've got another 20 minutes of caramelization oh, on, that our, was a great <laughs> on idea. our onions. So that's hey. perfect. Ooh, you don't want to don't want to grab this handle. No, you don't. You don't have the bestest fingers by now. Oh, after. I do. <laughs> it smells Oh, time. Oh gosh, it's only oh. two o'clock, my lord. We're I know. Is she quick or what? It's going to be time. We're going to be Boat done. Cooking. Boat cook. <laughs> well, actually, done. what it is, it's homestead cooking, mother of twins. Full homestead life going on. <laughs> Mother of L twins. Little kids yep. all over the place. And you know, I used to get dinner on the table by 6 o'clock. What happened in the last 25 years? Your standards went up. <laughs> There's that. My standards did go off. That's a lot of it. Yeah. You, you wind up, you wind up, you're like, oh, oh, I'll just make something really simple. And you're like, no, it's too easy. I'll, I want to do And then the next thing you know, you're like knee deep in some three hour project. And oh, yeah, I'm going to make homemade this, you know? yeah. Oh yeah, hold the phone. I have to take eight hours out to make my stuff. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You know, oh, I'm gonna make a pie. You know, when when you're first learning how to cook, oh, yeah. you're like, sure, I'll just use a pie to, you know, the right. freezer one, whatever. Right. And then you're like, oh no, I can't do that. Can't you know, do that. My standards are too high. Absolutely. I have to, I have to make one from scratch. So first, I'll make it, and that won't take very long. But then it has to rest because otherwise, it's not gonna be right. <laughs> And then, you know, I got to spend like 25 minutes putting it in the pan and shaping it just Making right. Making it and look beautiful. <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay. All Meanwhile, right. everybody else is ordering a pizza. <laughs> it's like, are we ever going to eat? <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. we'll have this tomorrow night. <laughs> uh, usually with me, it's just uh, during the week, all the time. It's a, a protein out of the freezer, which we have vast amounts of, you know, moose, salmon, halibut, scallops, crab, shrimp, sure. uh, you know, whatever. And then a, a vegetable out of the freezer. I got all these packages, freeze-dried vegetables from the garden. That they're like wow. fresh. Wow. So, or salad. That's or both. Neat. I got this, um, these croutons, this nice big fat piece of toast with the, with the uh, toasty side down. And I'm going to pile this grated Gruyere, pile it nice and high for our toasted cheesy crouton that we'll put on top of the dish at the end. Soak up all that good soup. Oh my gosh. Yeah, let's Look not skimp. No, no she, she's, she's not skimping on the cheese. No, she's not. Why would you? Oh my goodness, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. French onion soup oh is pretty cheesy. Well, and it's just not the same if you don't use Gruyere. Well, I was going to lowball it with that business, and I said, no. Nope. <laughs> this is for public radio. Right. <laughs> this is for public radio. I'm going to make it look and taste delicious. You know, I mean, we're kind of used to, like, our daily champagne and caviar afternoon snacks pretty and stuff. Much. <laughs> Great. So, you know, you got you to gotta maintain a pretty high level with us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you're up to my standards. <laughs> Okay, these look like they're ready. We'll wait until we get a lid on this before. I think we're about ready to deglaze in there. What I do you think, think? I think we're doing good, huh? 
What do you think? I think. I think it's time. It looks really good. I think it looks great. It smells better. Yeah, let me just take a little. Okay, now. Oh, it's nice and soft. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. Good. Okay, now, how did okay. this is your? Well, this is my gelatinous. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was. I was going to bring moose bone broth, which I made copious amounts of, but it's gone. So I had this beef so what's one. This? So you made a beef one. This is a beef one. We had okay. a, a Delta beef uh, a couple of years ago. Okay, I have to taste it because mm -hmm. I just made some. See and how you, you can tell it's well made because it's basically jello. Mm. It's basically jello. All right, and then she asked me to bring some of mine. I mine. did because uh -oh. this isn't enough. Are we having a, are we having a We're stock having off? We're having a stock off. Did <laughs> <laughs> you get that sound? Yes, jello? I did. Let's well, see if we can get this out of here. Wow. Melt the. Wow. Oh my God, I'll use a wide mouth next time. Whatever. <laughs> wow. Okay, we can probably turn the heat down a little bit okay. now. That oh. is magnificent. Isn't that beautiful? And let's throw, let's uh, taste some of taste Terry's. Taste some of mine. Oh, we're going to put Terry's in. Yep, taste this. Let's see what Terry's right. look like. Where's, where's your spoon? Is yours, is yours gelatinous? Not too much. I, yeah. I, I didn't have the... There's some spoons on the table. Oh, oh right here. Okay. I didn't have the... Yeah, uh, I don't know, Terry. You could have reduced that a little more. I could have, and I, I got tired of doing it, so try it. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's stellar. This is delicious. You've determined that it's a legal bull. You've watched it. You pulled the trigger. Yes. It's gone down. Uh, yep. What happens next? Uh, I got back up. I shot it again. <laughs> it went, and then it went down for the last time. Okay. So then I went up, um, shot it in the head. And uh, at that point, I, I went about the process of, of, getting, of bleeding it out and uh, getting ready to get the guts out of it, get it, the meat cooled down. Do you, do you bleed it from the throat, or is there that's, another way? That's what I did. I'm sure people, other people do it a different way. I just yeah. slit its throat. And started the process of, uh, you know, getting the guts out of it. That's, that's the main thing. You want to get the guts out of it. And then uh, we, I gutted it, quartered it, and started dragging it down to... It went, luckily, I wasn't that far from where our camp is, so the, you know, we, didn't, we were able to get it down there with, without too much of a struggle. And hanging, which is huge, we have a meat pole, and then... Um, right get the fur off of it in, in meat bags for the first part of it. It was in bags, just kind of let the meat cure up. And then after that, it was cold enough that I just pulled the bags off and let a pellicle form around the meat and uh -huh. it was nice and chilly. So it actually hung outside for, I think five days, five or six days there in the nice cool weather. And the meat was just phenomenal with the, you know, it kind of tenderized it a little bit and got this nice pellicle on it and got all nice and kind of dark ruby red. And mm. What do you save out of the gut pile? Well, let's see. I got, I kept the tongue. I kept the heart, and I kept the livers this time. Okay. Do you bone it in the field, or do you? No, uh, no. We I uh, put it back into the bags, and um, once we could transport it with wheelers again, put it back in the bags and got it out, and then brought it to my father's shop, which is the traditional place, and that and we we have a method there where we have a, like a little butcher party, you know? Yeah. Butcher paper and freezers and sharp knives and some more beer. When you're out in the field, so after you, the, the first thing you do after you shoot it is you bleed it, then you gut it, then then you said you quarter it right after yep. that. So do you carry a bone saw with you? I do, yeah. Okay. I have a folding, really nice folding bone saw that has come in handy on a few occasions, which, I, yeah, definitely have to have a bone, nice, sharp bone saw. Yep. Okay. So you do, you quarter it with the with the skin on and you skin it back at camp or do you try to skin it in the field? Depends on how far and if it's, you want to, if it's super muddy or something, um, you want to leave that skin on, but if you can get that, I mean, the main thing is get the meat cooled down. And some people, I've done it both ways, where if it's super rugged out and wet and nasty, just leave the skin on, quarter it, and then skin it later. Or you can, you can skin it, and if it's nice and cold and crisp, you know, skin it there and just get it. Basically, the skin acts as like a um, protective coat cover for getting any nasty, but like you don't want to get a bunch of mud and, and right. dirt and dirt, you know. Are you are you dragging it or are you carrying it? Tarp, tarping, okay. uh, backpack. This in this case, we just drug it because it, it was like I said, it was just a little short walk. But you know, a lot of times I have a a frame pack that you just put a quarter on your back and just start hoofing. About how heavy is a quarter going to be? Gosh, at least a hundred pounds. 
probably buck fifty. I was really impressed with the tongue. Tongues are fantastic. What did you do with it? Did you well, smoke I, it or no? I just bo I boiled it. I came back. I soaked the liver in the heart. Yeah, and then I uh, boiled the tongue until it looked like it was kind of bubbly, and I saved it. Yeah, and then I when I I actually saved it for the whole time I was out there, and then I brought it back and I made um, tacos with it when with my girlfriend. And it was awesome. I, I mean, couldn't, tongue, I couldn't believe how good they were. Tongue is tongue's a classic. Uh, lingua tacos are, anyway, yeah. are. I mean, they're they're classics in Mexico. And tongues, you know, they they're kind of unappreciated around here. Like it used to be a really huge meat. Like if you read like books from like the twenties or thirties, people are always eating like tongue sandwiches. And they they would usually they would cure them. A lot of times they would smoke them. And so they were making like basically a ham with the tongues. Yeah. And so it's I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad to hear you you enjoyed it so much because I did, it is, I loved it. I won't know. They're so firm. They have that really it's unique a, it's, texture. It's amazing. It really is. It's like a whole bunch of like yeah, it's it's I was very impressed. And there was all this awesome like what is that uh what is the fatty mesentery? Yeah, that they you can wrap I, that yeah. was off the hook in the coal fat. Coal fat. Yes. Yeah. Gosh, I've actually been in the situation where I was like, kind of, and I put, you have this big, basically, kind of comes off in like a sheet. Yeah, and it looks fat. like a web. Yeah, it's like a web, and I was like, yeah. and I, I think you can like wrap. You can make like that is a that is a traditional wrap for sausages in uh, many parts of Europe. Yeah, I bet. That's what I they bet use. It is. They, they, you know, like it, it, like a link sausage or a patty sausage, like we would have. They take the patty, you know, like you get it like a diner or whatever. They take that. And they wrap the patty in the call fat. Oh, so it just adds a like. So, really, it, so it adds like a nice crispy sort of, you know, I like almost crackling on the outside. So I think I, I am. I had some imagination. I was just it, it just in this current in that situation, it just seemed like a one a bridge too far, and so to speak. That yeah, I just would have. I would have tried to save, it and it would have turned. But I mean, I my main objective was, and it always is when I sh kill something, is to get the meat cooled down. That's it. Right. That's the first thing you do is you want to get that thing opened up, get all those warm guts and the um, organs out of the animal. And, and the, if you can, the skin off and just get that thing cooling down because it doesn't take long for meat to get rancid and weird. And you yeah. can kind of tell sometimes. And some people get a little excited, I think, and they're like, yeah, I shot this moose. And then it's like beer 30. It's like, no, now it's time. You got to like, the most important <laughs> now the work starts. Now the work starts. And at that, I mean, that that's kind of the, how I was raised and instilled in me is that the most important part of the whole hunt and everything is the quality of that meat because you want to respect that meat 100 percent. right that's how i mean for me that's the most important thing whatever it takes well i mean that's what you're that's what you're there for you know absolutely i could care less about uh anything else really than like you know as far as like film like some big stud or something i know there's a real there's a real lack of like giant moose antlers on the wall they're, here. they're in the shed if you want to see them <laughs> Well, you were telling me about moose geladas. Are you doing that with ground I, with ground meat? No, or? I do it with I do it with just the chuck or whatever. Like I just do it with the with the dedicated, you know, chunked up, tough. You know, I cook it down and for a couple hours in in my version of enchilada sauce, and it's f f fantastic. Moose enchiladas are, are unbelievable. They are. I'm sure somebody else can attest to that. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, it's not. It's it's not ground. It's just a chopped up moose. That's good to hear. What else do you like? Well, I like to make uh, um, moose stroganoff. It's, it's that was what your mom was going to make. Yeah, but she decided not to, and she she shifted around. She did That's moose. Okay. She did moose Salisbury it was, steak. It was in her heart. The moose, <laughs> the moose stroganoff was in her heart. It had to have been. It's really good. It's, there's something the stroganoff recipe really lends itself to moose meat, in my opinion. It's just there's something they walk like yeah. The way the if you can get some some of the moose stock and add that to the stroganoff dish, it's just, it really comes out very good. Oh, I have made I have made a pho with some moose one. I made some pho with a moose some moose stuff one time. Oh, like a Vietnamese pho yeah. once, and it turned out really good. That sounds amazing. Yeah, actually, it was good. It was because that's good. one of the nice things about pho is there's, there's always like there's always some awesome stuff in there. You know? Oh yeah. No, and, it, and the more the more interesting and awesome stuff is is in there. It the already it, you know it, like it, it kind of it, it and, lends itself to that. Totally. Yep, I think so. I th yeah, no, it was. I did. I did experiment. Yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I, I knew that there was something else, and it was. It was a moose themed pho that I that I and I did. I like kind of the traditional method of roasting all the vegetables and the bones and stuff, and then cooking it down for a while and ending anise and what, but starry anise and whatnot. But it turned out really good, actually, and I got uh, accolades for it. That sounds fantastic. And the next time you do one, you, you have to invite me over. I will. Because <laughs> now I really I want. Now I really want that. I'm, I'm I'm pretty interested in, in 
Yeah, no, this is a this is an inspirational conversation we're having. I'm thinking there must be other things. I also, yeah, I think that I try to use utilize as much of the animal as I can, but you know, with obviously not the whole thing, but I'm I'm very conscious of using. We we don't really throw. You know, we we take all the scraps and when we trim it off and and try to keep everything. And the scraps that we end up not um, using for ourselves, we I, we take all of them and we put them in the freezer and we cook them down and, and we supplement our dog's food with it yeah as well as our salmon scraps so my our pup our dog gets a steady diet of her dog food is supplemented augmented with uh with uh, moose scraps well one of the nice things about alaska game management is that there are pretty severe punishments for you know wastage like you Wanted can't just, waste yeah you can't just go out and you know blast something and then cut off the head and drag the rack home and call it good you yeah. know yes yeah, that's a. I can't even imagine what is going through somebody's head when they would be, be able to do something like that. But I'm not entirely sure that their head is the thing they're thinking with. I, I agree. There's something. There's something. There's some strange. <laughs> something going is going on. Is very strange. You have any final any final moose thoughts you would like to impart to me? Uh, well, let's see. I guess you know. It's. I just think that moose is a important aspect of of Alaskan culture and it's ingrained in a lot of us and that we need to treat it is it's sensitive and you know they're just you know they, they need to they need all they need all the attention they can get and uh, as stewards of the moose population so to speak for hunters that we need to be conscientious of uh, what we're doing and keep on the same track and you know always kind of hold the moose in high regard so just keep it up and uh, it's a it's a awesome resource and I'm very appreciative to be able to have participated in um, hunting moose and eating moose my whole life. So whatever it takes to keep going for future generations, posterity, and um, keep up the good work. Moose are important. Keep eating delicious moose. Hell yeah. <laughs> Put some of that. That's lovely. Why, thank you. We want to have a lot of soup. I'm, I'm, uh... good. Let's throw a little of this. Honored. Um, oh, a little red wine. A little red roan wine. Roan. It's very tannin light, so it's quite a delicious cooking wine. It's also very nice to sip on. We like that. I brought cups. <laughs> oh, yeah. Friday. Now that's delicious. Oh, that's really good, and the, the wine is raw. Oh, it smells. It smells delicious. Now we're going to put these patties back okay. in here. Oh, they're going in there. Yeah, yeah they're going right. to go in there. Oh, wow. That's tasty, huh? Ooh. Give Jeff a taste. So yeah. they're going to so they're going to finish cooking in the in the soup. Yep, we're going to we're going to cover it up and bring it to a boil and let them Here, I'll let you let them simmer for 10ish minutes. You want to try it? Sure. Ooh, that's good. That's tasty, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real we're good. hired. You know, I'll tell you. We're hired. Your soup is as good as your stock. That's all I got to say. Pretty much, yeah. That's it about that. Yay. Do you ever make pressure cooker stock? Who? Do you ever make pressure cooker stock? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's my favorite way of making it really? now. Really? Well, yeah. Because it's so fast. Yeah. And you get, and you don't have to use much water, so you don't have to spend a lot of time reducing it. And you, like, automatically get, like, a hard gel. Oh, uh, yeah, I've done it with, um, like, chicken uh, carcasses. Yeah. Because they're smaller. But when I'm doing stuff like beef and bones. I use an electric oven Buster. because I like to, I do it for 24 hours with a little vinegar so it leaches out the minerals. Uh -huh. But I'm learning to create a tastier stock with the same deal, you know, roasting everything first and lots, you need meat. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's something a lot of people sort of don't really quite grab. Well, you don't really so much with chicken because there's a lot of chicken flavor in chicken bones and chicken skin. Right. Mm -hmm. But in like beef, you know, there's no flavor in a bone. It just tastes yeah, like there a There really bone, isn't. You know, and it'll, it'll provide collagen. But even then, like an older, an older cow doesn't have the same degree of collagen, which is why in French restaurants, the old school French cooks, they would make all their stock with veal. Because oh, veal bones have right. collagen that converts mm -hmm. really fast to gel gelatin, um, whereas older, older cows don't. And that's why veal stock was such a thing for so long. Isn't, isn't that the way demi-gloss is made? Yeah. Traditionally, veal, yeah. Traditionally with a veal stock? Yeah. I've never 
Well, you can't get veal here anymore. You know, it was one thing like, you know, 50 years ago when veal was really cheap because of the dairy industry and, you know, now it's not the same way. Like nobody eats it anymore. How's it tasting, Ant? Darn good. It's look real tasty. I'm gonna crank some of this pepper in here. Like such a wonderful. Love the sound of the pepper radio. mill, huh? Great radio. That's really why why we we advocate um, grinding your own pepper Absolutely. on this show. It's not because of the, the flavor. It's because it sounds cool. It does. <laughs> and sharpening your knife. It's very dark looking. You know what? I'm just gonna leave the. Uh, lid off. It's not going to matter one little bit if it reduces a teaspoon or two. <laughs> no. Because there's a lot of soup in there. We like soup. Soup's good Yes, for you. we do. So while I'm... Excuse I'm just going to throw this in the sink. So where the... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm curious. Where did the, uh, where'd the, the notion of putting the, the uh, meat pulp patties actually in the soup come from? Because that's not something I've seen before. Well, it's just like how do you put together two classics? Throw them in a pan. I, mean, I don't know. It's no big. I don't have any big uh, rationale for it. Just that maybe it'll transfer some flavors one to the other uh -huh. and and blend up and make. Well, it and also I guess tasty. too on a on a boat, it's only one utensil. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the boat that I cooked on was really. I mean, it's like a state of the art ocean going tugboat. My galley was like. A restaurant. I've never been on quality. I've never, never cooked on a boat like that. No. It, yeah, I, the, oh, you, I had freezers. I had so much stuff. When I worked on the Kilkenny, we had we had a shipmate stove that barely worked. So if you wanted to, like, say, make spaghetti or something for dinner, what you would do is around noon, you would go downstairs <laughs> and you would put some water on, and then you would turn the stove up as high as it would go. And then by about six, when you were ready to go down and cook, it, the water would be kind of almost at a boil. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's a little crazy. <laughs> if you forgot to put the, if you forgot to put the water on there, you weren't having spaghetti that night. <laughs> well, I think you and I have two different experiences. <laughs> Can I bring some pepper in here just for uh, effect? Oh sure. Here we go. Come on. Oh shh. We already got the pepper sauce, I know. <laughs> I just, you know how I am. You're too Gotta late. have my hands on everything. Should we throw another knob of butter in there? <laughs> uh, sure, why not? <laughs> so when I make Salisbury steak, I do make a mushroom gravy for it. Yeah, that's... With onions, and that's a pretty standard... Standard. ...recipe around my kitchen. That's not a very generous knob, but you know what? It's, it's good enough. Ooh, there. Let's flambe a little bit of this. That is it's a good enough pan. knob. That is a soupy soup. I think we're close. I think it's time okay. to do the croutons. All right, and I'll turn our really fast broiler back on and roll again. <laughs> well, it would be nice if the cheese would all melt before it turns brown. We could, we could make that happen. Just put it on the bottom yeah. shelf first. Hot mitts. I'm one of those people that wear hot mitts all the time and I still burn myself. I hate oven mitts. I do too. I just use towels. Yeah. Oh, chef trick. Until they get wet. And, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> and I will set it up my little cauldrons. Oh, my gosh. It smells so good. Oh, man. We even have special bowls. I know. Aren't they cute? <laughs> I, I saw them on Iron Chef one time. Went directly to Amazon, and there they were. Free shipping. <laughs> I am not going to just invite anyone to check the pantry. <laughs> Just remember that. These are great for like a cobbler, a pot pie, they're fabulous. I mean, they're cast iron. They're yeah, those are nice. Most of the individual cast iron you see are a lot shallower. I don't think the, I don't. Cheese is doing good, it's yeah. not quite melted. Mm. So we've, we've got time. Yeah, we're just gonna let it cook until the cheesy croutons are ready and then we'll plate it up. And uh, do you have your bowl? I do. Yeah, we need, we need that. And voted out of the oven and into the broiler. Yeah. There it, we go. Yeah, let it get a little brown on that big bad top layer. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, look at it bubbling up in there. For all those of you in Radio oh. Land, the cheese <laughs> oh is my. bubbling. It's beautiful. We're all we're watching cheese TV. I know. <laughs> Melting cheese. 
Who knew it could Whoa. be so beautiful? They should have a, a channel like that. You know how they have the channels that are the fireplace? They oh, yeah. just have one of like, <laughs> of like cheese, the the aquarium? cheese just bubbling on top of things. Oh, yeah. That's great. That's great. Okay, you know what? Since this is so hot, I'm going to go ahead and start okay. with this. I'm going to take this nice, put a nice big hunk of meat in each one. One, two, three. I'll put a, a couple scoops of just onions and mushrooms right on top, and then I'll go back in with the broth. So, what are your other star moose well, recipes? Well, uh, yeah, I make a. You know, moose ribs are big and tough. Yeah. I got a killer moose rib way. I do a dry herb rub, salt and herbs and stuff, uh -huh. and salt them and get all the garlic and marjoram and thyme and thyme <laughs> and wrap them in tin foil about four complete wraps around seal it up really tight mm -hmm. um low and slow for a long time eight hours at about 225 okay in the oven in the oven uh -huh. and they just fall off the bone oh, they're wow. so delicious and then anything that you can do with beef you know yeah, like, you know, our stroganoff and, and meatloaf mm -hmm. and uh, uh, steaks, roast, steaks. pot roast. We're anxious to try your Korean... Korean barbecue, mm -hmm. um, sloppy joes, yeah, that's gonna be awesome. um, tacos, um, anything, yeah. Well, we have a little extra broth, which is great. Not too much, but too little. A little more on the cheese, it's almost perfect. Okay, well, this is so stinking hot that... <laughs> we'll eat it tomorrow. <laughs> It will be fine yes. to sit there for a, how full can I get them? Don't, don't. This is, that's full enough. because That's we pretty get, full. Once we get the crouton on top, and you want to be able to smash the crouton down in there with your, with your, uh, do you think it's too full? No. Good. The crouton will soak up a bunch. Oh, yeah. I think they're good, don't you? Oh, yeah. They look good to me. Don't want them to dry out on top there. Oh, yeah, they're beautiful. Okay. Nice and crusty. Okay. Wow. This. I passed. Just set it right down. I passed my test. Okay. Ooh, that one got a little. That's okay. I like the charm. Brown. And we'll just put this crouton right on top. Look at that. Look at that. A little raft. Isn't that pretty? This is like much more than a first course soup. I gotta say, this is like a. It's a main meal. Yeah. It's a main. It's a main. This yeah. is very exciting. This is very. Here we exciting. are. We have our table set. I guess I'm gonna have to turn the recorder off because I can't really eat and chew at the same no, time. No, that's a wrap. Yeah, that would be gross. That's <laughs> a wrap. Nobody wants to listen to that. I've actually heard, I've actually heard people, seen people online complaining about certain shows that where people, you know, were like food shows and they say uh -huh. everything's great and then people start eating and they're like, we just can't handle the mouth noises, you know? Like, oh, I, uh, oh, I think they're about kissing, you know, on the moose house. <laughs> 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 so All right, I'll continue. We're gonna we're gonna minimize the mouth noises <laughs> on this show. Check the pantry is a production of KBBI AM eight ninety in Homer, Alaska. It's produced by Jeff Lockwood and was guest hosted today by Terry Rubel. Today's guests were Nancy Wise and her son, Cody Wise. Some recording took place at Station 12. For information about Station 12, go to station12.com. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10 Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quator Ebain. This is the fifth episode of the sixth season of Check the Pantry.